Welcome to episode 47 of Chin Music. It's a podcast presented by Fangrass by in, in wintry, gray, and gloomy DeKalb, Illinois. I'm Kevin Goldstein, and joining me this week in the co-host chair, we go to the middle of the country. No more East or West Coast biases. Kansas City. It, it, it's a place you get barbecue. And joining us is I, the king of it all. It's Jeff Passon. Jeff, how are you? I'm doing great. It's it's a little wintry and dank here in the middle of the country as well, and I'm just happy to be on uh, episode Tom Glavin of the podcast. <laughs> are, are you getting the winter storm that's coming? I like, it's gonna know. go. It's gonna go I, west of me. You don't, you don't watch. You don't pay attention to the weather. You're old. Come on. Can, can I? I have to be honest with you. I I think people's reaction to weather is, is so embarrassing and overblown I, now i grew up in cleveland so i grew up with well i'm not exaggerating i'm not exaggerating when i say this there were like five foot snow drifts yeah. up against like the back of my house so i would look outside and it would be taller than me as i was a kid and so i just sort of grew used to snow and i live in a place now where if it snows an inch People start freaking out. They can't drive in it. They can't function in it. They act like the world is coming to an end. And so I just don't bother looking at weather. Like if there's snow, there's snow. You deal with the shit. If there's not snow, there's not snow. Great. Like what What can we do? I, I, I suppose as I've gotten into my 40s, I've realized that dealing with things that are out of your control uh, it's just not worth the time and, and effort and hassle to do it beforehand. Yeah, like like figure the and shit out when it hits the ground. If it snows, <laughs> oh well, <laughs> like, go enjoy it. Build the snowman. And here's a little secret for those of you who have not met Jeff: those five foot snowdrifts still taller than. Hey, I gotta tell I gotta tell you something. You, you've never met my you've never met either of my sons, but you you will appreciate this. Uh, I'm gonna have a six foot child. Mm, right, that's fantastic. Right, like I'm. Uh, genetics are awesome sometimes, and yes, and and the fact that at least one, maybe both of my sons. Uh, are not just going to be taller than me, but are going to be the first six-foot passings potentially to inhabit this earth. Um, hey, here, here's to marrying well. <laughs> I remember talking to Delano DeShields Jr., who you've at least been on the same field with. He's a little guy, right? He's a yeah. you know, squat, compact, really fast guy. And, um, and obviously the son of a, a former big leaguer. And his sister is a famous basketball player. Yep. And she's like six feet tall. And I was like, what happened, dude? Like, how did this... And he just went, genetics are weird, man. I'm like, yep, you're right. <laughs> Delino DeShields uh, Jr. always 
reminded me of like the modern day in terms of body type eric young mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i i i love i don't know why like it, it's the it's lenny webster was that way too like just short compact strong bowling ball dudes yeah and yep. and i lo- i love that kind of baseball player i don't know why i i gravitated toward guys like that because uh, listen I'm 5'9", KG. Like, it's not like a... I, NBA I'm an, height. I'm an average American male. No, anything but. Um, <laughs> you would have loved that. He, he, I think he got to the biggest strike two at-bats. It was a Brewers catcher prospect named Angel Salome. I'm dating myself. This is the early part of the century. I, um, and I he know was exactly like, who you're talking about. He was like 5'7", 220. And he I mean, was, yeah, uh, okay, he was, okay. He but, was the bowling ball to end all bowling balls. Well, no, the bowling ball to end all bowling balls is in Toronto right now. I mean, Alejandro Kirk oh, is the Kirk patron is, yeah, saint of bowling balls, is he Baseball not? bowling balls. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you're talking to someone who watches sumo, but baseball-wise, yes. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, Kirk almost goes beyond a bowling ball to a weeble. He can really hit, though. When I was with the Astros, we asked for him like three or four years in a row because like he checks every box on hitting, even though he's a bowling ball. But welcome to Chin Music. It's a podcast. That's Jeff. Uh, look, it's a baseball <laughs> podcast. There's not a lot of news here, but there's a you know, we delayed this a little bit because we wanted to talk about the news of the game, which is uh, this is Friday morning. Yesterday, the two sides uh, in the lockout met with each other. It didn't go well. Um I, I want to start with a general question for you. So I have a friend who is a criminal defense attorney. I don't know how he does it because he uh, he defends some heinous people who do some heinous stuff, right? And his job frequently is more mitigation of damage than anything else, right? He's, mm-hmm. The person he's defending has done the thing. The people who are prosecuting the person for having done the thing have a airtight case. He's going to get convicted. And his job is to make the damage is as little as possible. And so he has to do a lot of negotiations, right? With, with, with state's attorneys. And, and he's, he, he, when he saw, he's also a huge baseball fan and he saw what happened and he he said, you know, as someone who has to do these negotiations, like you go to the table and you're certainly stretching what you want, but you at least go with a a realistic offer to the table. You're, they're never going to accept it, but at least is a realistic offer Mm -hmm. that if they were drunk, they might accept, or it gives you a starting point. Um, Based on the player's reaction to what we saw yesterday, I saw in particular Austin Slater, who's the Giants rep, you know, using the term backwards. Um, did Major League Baseball come to the union with an offer that was at least crossed that threshold? Or did we get anywhere? Or did they just kind of say a thing to say a thing? I, I want to go back. Uh, God, oh, boy. It's, it's al- Well, it's almost a couple years now because I, I, you know, I think this is important context for where we are. And as much as as Rob Manfred publicly has said, I don't feel like the COVID negotiations in 2020 are indicative of where we are now or a representative of where we're going to be. I think they are. And I think they are because... It illustrated how these two sides have absolutely no problem talking past one another. These Mm. aren't discussions so much as they are monologues. And and monologues inside of a vacuum, right? Now, I understand Major League Baseball 
uh, on Thursday, ostensibly tried to address some of the issues that the Players Association had put forth, right? The Players Association said that, uh, you know, we want to address service time manipulation. So Major League Baseball came up with uh, an idea that would uh, give draft picks to teams that promote players when they should be promoted, which to me seemed hilarious because, like, do do we want to reward teams for doing what they should be doing in the first place? Either way, um, you know, the, the... The creativity, the attempt was there. Uh, Major League Baseball heard from the Players Association, we want to get players paid younger. So they looked to change the way that uh, two-plus players with service get paid. Right now, 22% of them through the Super 2 system get paid uh, at arbitration levels, whereas 78% of them can get just a tick above the major league minimum. And so the idea for this was to flatten it out, to throw some more money, uh, Major League Baseball says, at that class of players and uh, to try and change the system, which to me is a little odd where you have uh, a system where zero to twos would get paid whatever clubs want to pay them. Two to threes would get paid by a formula, and three to sixes would get paid uh, through negotiation. It's all odd, but, you know, uh, again, ostensibly addressing the concerns. And again, they, they did it with the draft lottery. The players have talked about tanking being an issue, and a draft lottery theoretically would address tanking. But all of these things that they did, Kevin, were half measures. They're not really addressing the core and the root of the problem. And they, they, they were, as much as anything, opening salvos, points off of which uh, the players could jump if they wanted to. But I, I just think that MLB ought to know by now, and I think they probably do, that those sorts of half measures are not going to work with players. They're not going to make any headway because we saw this same thing in April and May and June of Mm -hmm. 2020 where MLB would come with an offer that, frankly, they knew the players weren't going to embrace with open arms. And I'm not saying that the league should go and give the players everything they want. They shouldn't. This is a negotiation. But... What I am saying is if the league really, really deep down wanted to get a deal done now and that was the most important thing, what they did on Thursday could have looked a whole lot different. And I I will say that, uh, not trying to both sides this thing, uh, I I will say that about the union if the union's counteroffer approaches the league in similar fashion as their offers in the past have done when they've been extremely myopic in addressing just what the players want and not what the league generally speaking is looking for um i mean i want to go back even farther now um in the sense that i I, you know i in general i'm on the player side but i I don't you know i know that you know twitter's not twitter's not the real world but like i'm not it's not a hundred zero if you have to split my hundred points um and and you know, when a baseball player in when baseball's happening and a baseball player is slumping, you'll often talk about, oh, he's trying to hit three home runs every at bat. 
Um, I'm going to criticize the players for a second. The last CBA, they they absolutely screwed the pooch, mm-hmm. right? They app they the, the the players union did a horrible job in the last CBA, and that's part of the reason we are in the position we are in right now. Absolutely. And do you think the players are trying to now hit three home runs in this at bat? I don't think we're at the point yet where we can sit here and say that that's the case because I don't think anybody really feels threatened by the clock at this point. Mm-hmm. If if we're at the end, see to me this is uh, this has always been a game that is likeliest. Now now we did I'll I'll, I'll give you some inside uh the uh, the, the Dallas meetings where everything went down there. I think there were six of us reporters there and and Bob Nightingale, God bless the man, uh, d- because baseball writers, uh, deep down, are inveterate gamblers. Nightingale started a pool where we all blindly put in the date that we thought the work stoppage was going to end. And we did this, I believe, before okay. the work stoppage even started, which just which just goes okay. to show you how, uh, how, how obvious it was that it was barreling toward that conclusion. And I put February 17th. My my ra- oh just silly silly Jeff. Oh, yeah, my ration my rationale at the time was okay. They're going to go past spring training, but in the end, uh, they're, they're going to be prudent enough to understand that the threat of lost games for for both is really problematic. It's problematic for the players because as much money as they make now, and and let's let's not look past the fact that a generation ago the major league minimum was $100,000 and right now the major league minimum is looking trending in the direction of 700 plus thousand dollars potentially like the these guys make a lot of money and in 2020 uh, they lost a lot of money you know more than 60% of their salaries that year because they played mm-hmm. only 60 games so you have players uh, whether it's young guys who are, are looking to, you know, for the first time in their baseball careers, actually make a livable wage, or guys toward the end of their careers who know they may have only one or two seasons left, like the the possibility of losing any games for them uh, is is just something nobody wants to swallow. Uh, at the same time, uh, on the owner side. Uh, you know, as rich as they are, and they are filthy rich, and despite what owners say, I don't think anyone believes them uh, when they talk about how baseball is a break-even business. It's not. It never was. Uh, the, the propaganda there has been going on uh, dating back to the... Uh, Decades. I mean, at, you know, ad infinitum, right? Like, the, the, this is what right. baseball owners do. They they own amazing, incredible assets like baseball teams and talk about how poor it makes them. Like, it's... it's right. I've, I've, I said this before I got into baseball, which is owning a baseball team is a license to print money. And having spent eight years inside of baseball, absolutely nothing dissuaded. <laughs> it's... I mean, it is... It is a great business to be a part of and uh it's a tired act to to sit there and say that yeah. that you don't make money historic losses yeah historic losses historic no, losses, biblical Jeff. biblical losses biblical you're right i'm sorry biblical yeah. no, losses we, yes we, because we you can't forget because you bought up all of wrigleyville and assumed some debt that's going to pay off in, we, 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 in maybe we, billions we can't forget that uh that that moses blessed these losses um mm-hmm. you, you look <laughs> you look at uh, at the owners and 
they did. Uh, let me say this, Kevin. I do think they they lost money because everyone lost money in 2020. Like it was a bad, right. it was a bad but, situation. You know, but, I, but you lose money after uh, gaining money for years and years and years and years and years. That, right. That's called life. I, like that happens. Right. If I hand you if I hand you twenty dollars every year on January first, then one year you have to give me ten dollars back. You still that's exactly money. right. And and so I I think that. Uh, the owners uh, want to get back on track with making $10 billion a year as an industry. And uh, losing games is a very easy way to get off track with that. So uh, pragmatic me thought, okay, the, they're, they're not going to run the risk of ending up in a place where nobody in the industry wants to be. But, uh, you know, sometimes the idealist inside... Um, forgets about the realist. And the realist says this, Kevin, that the 30 men who own Major League Baseball teams do not become billionaires by accident. They do so by being shrewd, by being cutthroat, and by doing things like wanting to absolutely embarrass and break down their opponents. Now, their opponents typically are not their workers, but in this case, uh, that but often yeah, are. Uh, in this case, that is absolutely <laughs> so. On the other hand, you've got twelve hundred angry men and twelve hundred angry men who feel like they have been mistreated, who feel like they're underappreciated by those owners, and who want to get back a lot of what they have given up. Um, are they going to allow that emotion to drive them to the point where it becomes harmful? I don't think so. I, I think that they understand that this is a long game. And even though the leadership at the MLBPA has turned over, even though the, you know, whether it's at the top with, with Tony Clark and, and Bruce Meyer, uh, uh, in the middle levels where a lot of the, the lifers, the connections to Michael Weiner and Don Fear and Marvin Miller are no longer there to, to preach this message. I, I think players understand uh, that the history of the major league is that you make the most headway when you try for the least at one time. This is a long game for the players. And mm -hmm. if they get stuck on trying to get everything this time around, they're going to get slaughtered. But I, I think they're smarter than that, and I think I, I don't think they've revealed what they want yet because it's strategic, not because they don't know it. Uh, right. If they don't know what they want at this point, after years of trying to figure it out, uh, that says a lot more about the union, frankly, than the last basic agreement did. It, it says that they are in deep, deep trouble. Um, but in terms of this being... Uh, strategy for them, uh, I, I think it's a canny one at this point because MLB is confused. And uh, if the opponent is confused at any point, I think that that can be a very advantageous thing for you. You just don't want to press it too far. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, do you do you have any reason to believe that the, I mean, I, I think we, we've reached a point where the players are likely going yeah, to counter. Yeah, players are going to play, players are going to counter. Like, and, but, and remember, like the, they had uh, see this is okay. this. I'm going to tell you how stupid this got. Um, the if you remember in Dallas, uh, the players made an offer, and and it's an it was an offer 
that uh, they they contend it was different. It was you know they they acceded to expanded playoffs, which was putting something on the table. Um, they agreed to put uh, advertising patches on uniforms, which uh, you know th- there's money in that, but. Yeah, it's 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 a, a small gift. Um, but by and large, they pretty much stayed the same on their positions. They want earlier free agency. They want earlier arbitration. Uh, they want a significantly higher competitive balance tax uh, that does not include penalties, uh, non-monetary penalties like draft picks uh, being taken away for exceeding it. You know, they they want a lot uh, of things. Uh, with a higher minimum and with more money being funneled toward zero to threes. They want things that uh, are demonstrable wins. Um, uh, when the owners came back to them, they said, okay, we, we hear you. We understand. Uh, but there are some things that are non-starters for us. Just like a salary cap is a non-starter for you, we're not going to uh, go out there and ask you for a salary cap. Mm. Um, the the six-year reserve, non-starter for us. Um uh, you know, arbitration after two, non-starter for us, and change to the revenue sharing program, non-starter for us. So the only way we're going to make a proposal to you is if you agree to take all of those things off the table. And the union did what it said, uh, said what it should have, which is, no, we're not going to take anything off the table. If you want to make a proposal without those things in it, by all means, go ahead and make that proposal. And MLB said, nah, we're not going to do that. And, uh, you know, the, the league has has tried to to argue that it did make a proposal. Its proposal was to talk about things <laughs> with, with all those other things off the table, which is bullshit. There, there was no proposal, core economics right. proposal that was made. So when they came back, it was 43 days later. I mean, we essentially saw six weeks Kevin go down the toilet uh, as MLB... But we knew that was going to happen because there was, like you said, like we said at the top of this discussion, there's there's yeah. literally no time pressure. The players it aren't getting d- okay. checks so, and the so, owners aren't getting checks. So there's no time pressure. Yeah, there's no, I, there's no you know, revenue generation I, I think here. that's fair. Maybe it's naive of me to to sit here and think, okay, uh, even, even though they are doing what they do in so many other cases, which is waiting out the clock. Uh, that maybe if we're trying to get back to some semblance of normalcy here, that they would change that tack. But but why would MLB change that tack when it's been so useful for them? It is so useful for the league in so many different ways mm. to, to the point where we can now call it a playbook, right? Let's look at what's happened with arbitration. And, and, and I think you you might be able to speak better to this because you lived through the evolution of it. Uh, when you joined the Astros, uh, were you guys a file and trial team then? Um, no, but they got there. But at the same time, there are always exceptions. Right. So I, I, I look at arbitration, and arbitration used to be a mechanism through which players and clubs would come to agreements based on multiple discussions, right? You would talk Mm -hmm. with someone. You would say, where do you think you are? They would say around where they think they are. You would argue, call each other names, hang up, talk a couple days later, talk a couple days after that, and come to an agreement near the deadline. Now, there's not a conversation in a lot of cases that happens before deadline day. 
There's no right. negotiating going on back and forth. It's just, this is what I have. This is what you have. We have a deadline. We better get shit done. And I, I get why MLB wants to do that because it has found success in trying to leverage players that way. It does the same thing with the draft every year. It has done the same thing in free agency. The more time that teams wait to get the market started, the worse it is for players. So of course they're going to try and run out the clock here. Uh, they don't have to. It just behooves them in a business sense and has led, I think, to a lot of the frostiness in this relationship and a lot of the disdain, and that is not a word I use in exaggeration, a lot of the disdain that exists with players mm -hmm. toward the league. Um, and not to mention like all the stuff around arbitration, you know, everything from you know the belt, if you will, the arbitration belt to uh, you know the 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 LRB, you know, Major Space Labor Relations Group, at times really encouraging teams to go to hearings. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember the Astros being uh, less than six figures separated from a player. Yep. And and we're and, and we're asked told not to budge, like don't move. And and, and I remember you know, someone who was involved in arbitration just looking you in the eye and going. Are we really going to go to fucking arbitration over seventy five thousand? That's exactly. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that is, um, it, it's just this institutional intransigence that mm -hmm. now exists. It is turning things into a fight. And it, you ask, why are we where we are? That's why. Because over the course of the last decade especially, this relationship that for a long time was mutually agreeable was, I, I don't know, friendly. It was okay. I don't know. It was okay. Yeah. yeah it, it, was, it was okay. It was fine. There was, you know, I think the best word is there was detente. Like each yes. side realized... We are getting rich because the other side is there and is as close to a partner as two sides that have, uh, you know, as much friction are ever going to be. And I think, I, you know, th this is my like 30,000 foot um, sort of undistilled, like raw backwoods moonshine view of baseball um, that when analytics came into the game, uh, they benefited the sport in so many ways and still continue to do so. But the one area where I, I look at analytics as having screwed up the sport is making things binary. They added um, a, cold, a coldness to the relationship. Yeah, yeah. It's just that there is... Uh, there is so much that comes down to uh, e being efficient and efficiency looking like um, you're able to go out and save $75,000 in arbitration and that that's worth it just because we want to get the win, just because we want to set the precedent, just because we want to be on the right side. And I think that that coldness uh has has 
permeated the industry uh, in bad ways as much as it has added warmth and depth and excellence and knowledge in other ways. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there, there, nothing, nothing is universally great. Nothing uh, is universally bad except for the wave. And uh, to, to sit here and, and say that there are some parts of this game that analytics have screwed up, and, the, and not just the analytics themselves, but the mindset that they foment, um, I, I think is fair and reasonable. And even people who are the, the greatest advocates for it uh, would, if they're being honest with themselves, and, and generally speaking, people who like analytics are because they're logical uh that they'll mm -hmm. sit here and say yeah uh, we are where we are in labor relations uh in large part because of this uh this attitude and this ethos that has come into the game so i i, I do want to go over some in some some individual things that were that were pushed pushed and, and kind of where we are in some of these issues i i you know i things like expanded playoffs and universal dh were, were well expected we all know that's something that that will probably be a part of this next CBA. Yep. Um, and I, I think it's fair to say also that expanded playoffs are kind of the player's biggest chip to, to give. Which, um, which is which is interesting, by the way, because do you know financially how much expanded playoffs are going to benefit the league? Like, do you know the number on that? No. Take a guess. Um, uh, okay, wait, hold on. What? Three, the, the, I don't know, half a uh, half a billion to a billion, a hundred million dollars. No, that's wrong. That's not true. Mm. I mean, if we're yeah, just no. if we're just talking from the TV end of things, it, the, that's the thing you're talking about. The just the TV end of things. The 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 the, the ancillary benefits of that kind of thing beyond the TV are significant. Yeah, um, I, I no, that's, in terms that's of it's, it's, term, it's more yeah. significant to the playoff teams themselves, right? That, yes, for sure. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I that's what I included the, the the individual money to the teams in that guess, just in the sense that making the playoffs um the 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 money that comes from everything from like your season tickets blowing up, which they do if you make yeah. the playoffs. Yeah. Um to literally like lines outside your team shop for the al west championship t-shirt yeah you know and then teams outside your team shirt for the al championship t-shirt do, do people do people line up for wild card t-shirts i mean they wouldn't seattle right <laughs> um <laughs> they wouldn't see and so they absolutely wouldn't see it right and so and so we you know, did that, I, th I think the shirt just needs to say we did it that's it <laughs> The wait is over. Seattle Mariners 2022. Um, so, but all that ancillary stuff is worth to a playoff team tens and tens of millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, and so I added that up and I was like, yeah, I think you get to like half a billion. So um, that's, I think that's really appealing to the owners because all you know is like, well, if I make the play, it's a self to selfish thought. It's not for the good. It's like, if I make the playoffs, that's, you know, 50 to $50 million more for, for me. Um, and so they want that. So I think that's the last thing the players are going to give on, even though I think they're happy to do it. They just want, they know that's their biggest yeah. chip. I, I um, think, and I think also, I mean, the players have been willing to give on, on 12 teams. I do think it probably ends up at 14. I, I think that it's, listen, we're at 10 now. It's smart of the players to, to go to 12 when the league wants 14 because. Yeah, right. You, it's a good like, negotiation tactic. Yeah. Like, listen, you, 
I, I think the fact that they've acknowledged that they will go to 12 um, is a, a fair and reasonable thing for them to have done at this point. You hold out for 14. And right. uh, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think... It's a bargaining the, chip. Yeah. I think the argument that uh, the players have in their favor that 14 dilutes things too much and that 14 brings the barrier of entry for playoffs down so low that it disincentivizes teams from going out there and and trying to to make themselves the the best team possible knowing that they can get in with 80 82 84 wins i think that there there's a salient part of that argument mm. i just i don't know that uh that teams frankly uh at the top end are are going to sit there and say we can be demonstrably worse but the, no, rea- the reality is so. the reality is Kevin we've seen it, like, we've seen like an 83 win team win the world series in the past it, it, we all know it's just a matter generally speaking of who gets, who gets hottest hot. yeah always. of course it is and that's it's, uh, absolutely and and I you know I know I actually talked to a team who it was like a month ago who like did the math they like they like they they reversed the 12 team playoff system into old seasons yeah um and in, and i if i remember right the 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 average wins you need to make the playoffs was 86 yeah which um, uh, now i i don't know like what what in your head and and granted we grew up when you know the the playoffs were like four yeah there were four teams in the playoffs in your head what should the threshold be for a playoff team like I don't I care s- because like here's the thing like it's it's I don't think 162 games necessarily solves who the best team in baseball is because baseball yeah. is such a such a flattened sport in terms of, of team separation you know and, and yeah. I've, I've talked about this like in teams in the NBA like some teams go 70 and 12 you know teams in the NFL sometimes go 15 and one um, you know in 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 baseball. Like two thirds, going two thirds, 154 is a historically great team. Yes. It's just so flat. Like, I just don't think it solves anything. So, if you want to do four, that's fine. If you want to do 30, that's fine. I just, it's not going to solve it. It's just, it's a little round robin tournament at the end of the year and someone gets a ring. It's not defining who the best team is. Like, it's just, so if you want to put a 14 in, I'm fine. Yeah. I like, I like playoff baseball games. Like, it's fine. I yeah. do think there should be some sort of system um, with buys. Maybe even, I really like the system they have in Asia often with the series where it's a five game series and you start up one Oh, mm-hmm. like if you're the high seed, things like that. Um, I, I think there's a, I think you should be able to earn things with your regular season performance to give you an advantage in the playoffs. But I, I don't, I'm not one of those people who gets worked up about too many teams making the playoffs. I, I, I actually, and I'm not just saying this, uh, like full disclosure, ESPN would get to televise all of the wild card games. So mm-hmm. uh, I th- there are moments uh, where I will cop to being company guy. This is not one of them. I actually like the 14 teams in the format that the league is proposing. I like the idea that the top three seeds uh, or, or that seeds, you know, number one seed gets a gets a buy two through four mm-hmm. get to host all of the home games and get to pick their opponents. The pick I, I could right. I could live without the, the picking opponents is a blast. Y- yeah, I could listen. I could live without the picking the opponents thing. I think it's kind of cool. I I appreciate it's it. It's a blast. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be great television. Yeah. Um. Uh. But it's the three home games to me that that makes it good. Like, give an advantage 
to the teams that win. Like, simple as that. Right. Um, beyond that, like, the, the usual stuff we know about, like, Universal DH is coming and International Draft is coming. Um, we all know about that. So, they, they, they did... Rec- they did recommend. They did rather propose a a draft lottery, um, but it's only a three team lottery. Yeah, the lottery's bull. Um, the lottery's the lottery's bullshit. It, it's bullshit eyewash. It doesn't do anything because it's because it's because three teams or just because that's what lotteries are. No, I don't think lotteries are. I I think lotteries actually work if they're constructed in a proper way. I just don't think Major League Baseball has any desire to construct the sort of lottery that would actually address the problems. Um, right. Uh, you know, I was I was talking with somebody yesterday uh, with the with the club actually, and we were trying to go through what lot club of- people are not supposed to be speaking to the media, Jeff. Yeah, Passen. they are. Yeah. I know go, you're right. That's that's what no. That's 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 why uh, that's why I use uh, FaceTime audio. Really? Yeah. Absolutely. Boy, I hope no one hope no I hope nobody confiscates my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, normal goddamn calls on my phone. Uh, no, um, nor- normal calls. Normal calls can be can be uh, picked, oh, no. up, picked up on phone numbers. FaceTime audio uh, cannot. Um, so, okay, if if we want to incentivize winning, like if we really want to incentivize winning, I think there's a, a two pronged approach here. Um, number one, I like the idea of a draft lottery. Uh, just because it adds some randomness to it. But number two, if you're going to have a draft lottery, if you let, let's say you have 14 playoff teams. That leaves 16 non-playoff teams. Uh, I think all 16 of those teams should be in a draft lottery for the first five picks. With the team that came closest to making the postseason entering that lottery with the most ping-pong balls. And you can have mm-hmm. different adjustments for ping pong balls in there. For example, if Major League Baseball and I assume the CBT is going to be raised, I believe it should be raised pretty significantly. But I understand uh, why Major League Baseball wants to have some sort of levers in place there because they've been in place since the start and they don't want to let salaries spiral out of control. I don't think they would. Uh, I think it's uh, I, I think that the way that the CBT has functioned is frankly embarrassing. The fact that there were five teams within three and a half million dollars. Uh, no, it of, is of it is CBT. definitely viewed as a hard. Yeah, it's, that's exactly right, and and I think that's wrong. But it's there, and if the trade that you have to make to get a higher CBT, if you're the players, is for teams in a potential draft lottery to be dinged. If they're CBT payers, then you know what? Fine. Fewer ping pong balls if you don't make the playoffs and you exceeded the CBT. More ping pong balls if you're from a smaller market, um, just to, to make up for, for that. Um, but it, the idea that you have every team in there, that the teams that came closest to winning are, are uh, given a benefit uh, to incentivize winning, and then you have those first five picks, or you can make it the first four picks go out of the lottery, and then the worst team uh, that is is you know if it did not get chosen among those first four or five picks in the lottery, then the worst team gets the next pick after the lottery picks. I feel like that does something to 
make teams want to win because they have a great chance at a high draft pick still, but doesn't necessarily deeply penalize the teams that had really bad years. Right. That um, to me that, that to me is something that's <laughs> it's it's at least creative in thought and and should no, have like appealed it. to both sides. And MLB's proposal, I think, was eight teams. And so, or rather, the player's proposal was eight teams. Um, MLB came back with three. Um, We mentioned this earlier, but uh, the proposal that that MLB put, you know, threw across the bow yesterday, uh, got rid of the Super 2 system. Uh Um, And uh, the players who now count as Super 2 would have their salaries determined by a formula. Um, the company I work for has been unfortunately dragged into this discussion at times. <laughs> um, the, uh, you know, and that, that players would basically have the option of, of either being in part of that system or opting into the old system. Um, and, you know, like you said, this is, I don't know, this, this is kind of rearranging deck chairs, I think in, in a lot of ways. And I don't think it really gets anybody anywhere. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's it's clear you know, it's any, clear what MLB wants, though, right? Uh, MLB, which is uh, it, it wants to institutionalize a system the same way that it did with the draft and uh, a draft pool and you know hard slots, uh, the same way it did with the international pool of money. It it wants to take away the ability to negotiate, and mm-hmm. I like I get it. Um, I, I have not talked with anyone um, who, who, when given the binary choice of spending untold hours on arbitration cases that have, in, in reality, a, a very limited spread between club and player generally speaking in terms of value like if you gave him sodium pentothal and asked him what's the actual value of this player the club and uh the the agent almost always would be within what two hundred fifty thousand dollars of one another i i mean there's just in in reality the amount of man hours put toward arbitration are not worth the amount of money saved or lost i know some people will argue with me on that but i think the arbitration system is an extremely inefficient system and i understand why it's a, major league, it's horrible yeah i understand exactly why major league baseball wants to get rid of it um on the other hand i have a difficult time sitting excuse me i have a difficult time sitting here and and saying to you or anyone that it is right or fair for 90% of baseball players to never be able to negotiate a contract during their career. I mm-hmm. think the I think the number of player or the percentage of players who hit free agency after 6 years is about 10%, right? Like yep. it's 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 not a lot of players who make it to 6 plus years. And the idea that every dollar that you make under this system that Major League Baseball had proposed, where you are zero to three and uh, you're getting the Major League minimum plus right, you're on the, some the money scale. from a bonus pool, yep, mm-hmm. and that from your your three to five plus seasons, you're getting paid by formula. We're doing you math. Can't negoti- yeah, you, the the idea that 
uh, 90% of baseball players ne- are never going to negotiate anything after uh, their signing bonus. A- and a signing bonus that, frankly, you really don't have a whole lot of room to negotiate anyway. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't sit, it doesn't sit well with me. And, and I, I brought this point up to, to an executive, and his response was, well, it sounds like the rest of the world. And, and my retort to that was, well, shouldn't Major League Baseball be better than the rest of the world? Like, shouldn't, <laughs> like, yeah. like, 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 shouldn't Major League Baseball aspire to treat its workers uh, in a way where they sit here and are proud of the organization for? But that's also uh, not. But which, it's also not even true. It's not like the rest of the world. You, you went to ESPN how many years ago now? Three years ago. Three years. You were a hot property. I'm sure you negotiated a salary with ESPN. I'm sure you negotiated a salary. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, just I, I, I did this. I just right? signed a new contract and negotiated this past year. And okay, yeah, you and know. you negotiated. They didn't just give a number. You said okay. No, they gave a number. I said no. And so you negotiate a salary. <laughs> I did great. I negotiated my salary right. I'm getting right now. I negotiate my salaries with the Astros. I, like yeah. we, are, we do have the right to negotiate. Absolutely, it's, it's not the same it, number. Well, it is for you, but it's not the same numbers for most of us. And right. you know, but but it's still, I, we, I we just, still get to negotiate. I, yeah, I I have like like reconciling this whole thing uh that you know may, maybe maybe the baseball mindset has has infiltrated my head because I sit here sometimes and I think god arbitration is just such an inefficient process all this time that these really like wise intellectual intelligent people are just fucking wasting over a spread of a couple hundred thousand dollars. It's is so it really dumb. worth it? No. Is it really worth it? And the 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 angel on my shoulder says, uh, yeah, it's worth it because the people who play this game and who make it what it is get an advantage because of it. They get to feel like workers should feel like. And and you know what? Like I th- that's the argument in favor of arbitration. It, it, it is a system that you could say is broken, but maybe it's broken for the right reason. It's a horrible, the system is horrible. I, I, I doubt you saw it, but I, <laughs> I, I, I wrote a piece last year during arbitration. I actually called major executives. I said, let me ask you a question. This is the question. If, because I've seen you do this, if instead of hiring lawyers or having like four of your important staff peoples put together all of this stuff and go to the hearings, if all you did was show up to the hearing with a person, you hired a person to wear a clown suit and they would hold up one slide that just says, I think player X deserves my figure. That's all they did. Mm-hmm. Would it change your results? Your win loss <laughs> record? And most of them said no. Most of them said no. Yeah. Right. Cause it's, 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 it's utterly arbitrary. Um, the 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 absolutely strangest thing that came out of this uh, uh, reporting on this proposal uh, was the concept that to kind of you know the 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 union has has stated their their concerns um, and as we said before they've not necessarily proposed something to fix it but they've stated their concerns with with service time manipulation um, and and they you know in, in the interest of competitive balance they want um, something that I'm a huge support of which is just a rule set that encourages teams to put their best product on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, Major League Baseball's proposal said uh, that if a team has a top 100 ranked prospect, we don't know how they're defining that one. 
uh, on its opening day roster, and therefore so that player is on the opening day roster as opposed to being held back for some sort of you know weird word service time thing. And that player finishes in the top five for a major award, be it Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, MVP. During any of his arbitration-eligible seasons, the team would get a bonus draft pick. So I think that's a, I think that's a little off from what... I, I think what we were told is top 100 prospect wins Rookie of the Year or is top three in MVP or Cy Young in his zero to three seasons. Okay, so it's pre-arbitration seasons. Okay. Yes, yes. Then they get an extra draft pick. Yes. This is dumb. (laughs) Uh, I just, I just like you guys, like who's who who came up with this one? Um, My first question is, who's defining the top 100 prospects? Like, are they going with MLB's list? Because that's that's a little. You know, I love the people over at MLB who do prospect rankings, but that's a little sketchy if they're the ones yeah, doing the well, list. As 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 my kid says, that's sus. It is, and, uh, it yeah, it is, it is very. I mean, I just I I wonder when um, the baseball media suddenly became like the go to for for labor relations for formulas. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. It's very I mean, weird. For, First, we have F War being uh, the thing that's going to go out there and pay all arbitration eligible players, and now we have, you know, Jim Callison and Jonathan Mayo, uh, you know, figuring out getting teams draft picks. Yeah, getting teams draft exactly, which which I'm sure honestly makes them uncomfortable. Um, the, oh, absolutely. I'm like sure it like does. you've like he, here's the thing. Uh, you've done top one hundred ones. Um, you you know what this is like. I I'm curious from your perspective, um, how how something like this could possibly be a good thing. It's not like I, I, the thing was like it would be fine if you just got rid of the the prospect ranking aspect of it. Yeah, like if you have a player and he's on your opening day roster and he does this, you get a draft pick. Right. <laughs> Period. Yeah. Done. Uh, like, forget I about the ranking I, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's reasonable. You know. And so, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I think that the larger solutions are ones that, um, you know, we've already discussed are 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 non-starters, which is changing the clocks. Basically, you know, players are on two clocks right now. Um, they're on the clock when they sign their first contract, um, which is like you know just gets them to things like forty-man eligibility and Rule Five eligibility, things like that. Yep. Then they're on, and then they're on a second clock that starts once they get to the big leagues. Um, I, you know, I, the, the real solution here that's never going to happen is one clock. So you know, I've I got drafted, I signed. You know, you have eight years. Yeah, right? the single the single you clock. Know, and that's is never going to happen. It's it's complicated so much by the fact that you have one class of players signing at sixteen, one class signing at eighteen, mm-hmm. and one class signing at twenty one. Yep. You know, there 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 are three different players with with international, uh, high school and college, and and because of that, just the 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 flat clock is is never going to happen right, because but... you can't you can't you can't have a, a world in which we live college, in a world <laughs> in a world where college baseball players draw benefits. That young, poor Latin American boys <laughs> do not because they've been taken advantage of. Um, I mean, you can't. I'm sorry, you can't have 
uh, Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna and Fernando Tatis under reserve for for 12 years. Uh, right. Whereas if, uh, you know, uh, Joe Smith, and not like right-hander Joe Smith, I'm just talking like average yes. Joe Smith. John Doe. Yeah, sure, sure. Jo- how about John Dowd? Was it wasn't Barry Bonds's uh, mm-hmm, character mm-hmm. in MLB John Dowd? John Dowd. Yeah, John Dowd. If John Dowd goes to Arizona State, um, his reserve period can't be eight years. You know, it's just it, it's it's a fundamentally unfair thing. Uh, but there there's been some fundamental unfairness baked into baseball for a long time right now with with regards to to Latin American players, and that's something that. Uh, we should be looking to remedy, not not uh, make worse. Uh, so I'm going to ask you how this is all going to end, but before I do that, I, I want to ask you a question that I've asked other people, and I'm always interested in the answer, um, which is kind of has the, the 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 public vibe changed in terms of sports and labor? You know, this is our first um, baseball labor issue work stoppage in 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 about a quarter century right and you know i'm old enough to remember you know everything i can remember 1980 uh but you know during that time it was very much you know overwhelmingly the players are spoiled millionaires getting paid money to play a kid's game i can't believe they're doing that the players are horrible and i i feel like i'm not saying there's been a sea change but there certainly has been momentum towards um, a, a larger cultural seeing of, you know what? Maybe bosses are the bad guys too, right? <laughs> and 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 a general, you know, distrust of authority and a general, yeah. And not to get too, you know, poly sci here, but I mean, I genuinely believe, and I say this is, you know, as a lefty, that like the people who get really angry at the world and start supporting Bernie Sanders or Democratic Socialists are actually angry about the exact same thing that people who storm the Capitol are. They're just manifesting in different ways. And that is the system isn't working for them. And and and, and so and, and, and so you you have you have a couple of factors at play. Number one, you have a a very uh, disaffected generation. Um, and, yeah. and number two, this disaffected generation uh, now has an unfiltered uh, consequence-free, generally speaking, uh, group of platforms on which it can project its thoughts to the world. And I think as a society, frankly, uh, we are uh, smarter than we've ever been because the, the wealth of knowledge that is out there, the ability to, to go and uh, understand the world and understand different perspectives, uh, it's, it's unmatched in human history. Uh, I also think that the the lack of consequences in a lot of cases and the ability to to go onto social media depend, uh, uh, anonymously rather and, and go out there and talk your shit uh, leads to some bad actors in some situations. And uh, I, I think that uh, those bad actors going out there and trying to uh, spread propaganda, um, it's happening. You see it. I saw it yesterday with a tweet uh, from a company that's owned, uh, I believe majority owned by Jerry Reinsdorf, who's the owner of the Chicago White Sox. Um, and I don't know if you saw this, the, the headline from, it was NBC Sports Chicago, 
The headline was uh, MLB offers return to work MLBPA box. Mm. <laughs> like that that was the headline out there. And so when you see shit like that, it's going to enrage people and rightfully so because it's bad faith, because it's disingenuous, uh, b- because it is bosses doing what bosses have done forever, which is use the power of their platform to try and win hearts and minds. The, the problem is now, somebody out in Kansas or in Montana or in Florida or New York or Chicago or California or, or England or Australia, around the world, they have an equal bullhorn at this point. And we see on social media, Kevin, uh, frankly, the loudest voices come from pro-labor. It is an enormous shift in the way things have been. I don't know if it's entirely representative, frankly, of how the world actually thinks. I st- oh, I don't think it is. Yeah. But 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 but, so my, but my follow-up question then is that, and this is always my follow-up question. I agree with you. I think there has been a, a, a shift, um, and certainly momentum towards that, where it's no longer everyone thinks the players are, are you know selfish. Not not just not just that. not just that. But let's let's look at let's look at the media too. Uh, how much pro owner media exists anymore? You have mm-hmm. you have pro labor media. I mean, Mark Norman did, Craig Calcaterra. Um, I don't know if I would uh, say Eugene Friedman is media, but uh, he's certainly out there espousing the views of labor. Cheryl Ring. I mm-hmm. mean, there are a lot of voices that have prominence inside of certain circles, and. Um, you know, are those circles big? Are they wide now? Probably not, but they're sure as shit loud. And and that loud. So my question that is, loudness, man, the, carries the day. It, you say that, but my question is, does Major League Baseball realize this? Because I feel like they are still operating as if they have the public on their side. I think they realize it. I just don't think they want to admit it. I think they probably do have the public on their side, though. Let's not forget what the demographics of the average but not at the same level. Uh, not not in social media, no. But mm. but I think but I think Major League Baseball also understands that social media, the the real reach of social media is is small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I mean it's a like what what would you say the size of like leftist and i mean leftist baseball twitter is like we're talking about two adjectives before the twitter like so we're taking a segment of twitter which is baseball fans and then uh making it even smaller by talking about it's a minuscule percentage of 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 the the noise yeah, it's it's. I I just think it's a minuscule percentage of fans. Let's let's look at the average baseball fan. You know, my mm-hmm. my mom, God bless her. One, my my parents love going on cruises. I don't know why. I find it to be obnoxious, frankly, but they like it. And and you know what? That's great. I'm glad they found something that's good for them. My mom came back from a cruise one time and was was a little distraught. I was like, "What's wrong?" She's like, "Well, the average age on this boat was deceased." And, and and I look at Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball's fandom, its average age is deceased. Um, you have, by and large, a bunch of—and and listen, 
I understand there are plenty of young baseball fans. There are plenty of, of people of color who are baseball fans. There are plenty of uh, women who are baseball fans. I think you look at the average baseball fan, and it's like a 65-year-old white guy. That, mm-hmm. That's the demographic that baseball has. And generally speaking, there are plenty of 65-year-old white guys out there who are on the side of labor. Generally speaking, 65-year-old white guys side with management. That's the way it is. They look at players and they say, you are playing this game that I would play for free. doesn't matter that you would suck and that no one would want (laughs) to watch you. Uh, People don't think like that. They think this is what I would do. And so what I would do certainly applies to what they should do. It doesn't matter that you don't have a unique talent, something that you're better at than 99.9999% of people in the world, which is what baseball players are, which is what the 1,200 men in the MLBPA are. Uh, the The reality is um, as, as loud as the pro-labor movement has gotten on Twitter, I still do actually believe that sentiment general sentiment, sentiment of the fans of Major League Baseball has right now is still on the side of the clubs. Okay. So am I am I am I wrong there, by the way? I might be No. I I think you're a little hard, but I I, like I said, I think there's been a shift. I don't think there's been a sea change. I think there's been a shift. Totally agree. There has definitely been a shift and I think as as time goes on, the the question to me is going to be more of uh, is baseball um, are are baseball fans somehow immune to the reality that the older you get, generally speaking, the more conservative you get, and and right. is this is this young generation of baseball fans uh, that's outspoken that sits here raging against authority that's uh, ma- making photoshops of Rob Manfred in, in varying clown outfits. Uh, is that generation going to remain as vigilant as it is right now uh, in the case of pro-labor? And if it does, then I'll tell you, the MLBPA uh, will have hit an absolute goldmine because right. they are loud and they are passionate. So it is, uh, it's Friday, January 14th. It is 9.48 a.m. Central Time. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was asked like, what I think the most likely result is of this ending and i said the most likely result of this ending is some sort of situation where we have a compressed spring training the season gets delayed a little bit they compress the schedule a little bit and i'll set the over under at 154 games so we lose just a chunk it's a little bit but everything gets pushed back a little bit we have some double headers we have some lost off days but we play like 154 um i would probably move that maybe a little more pessimistic if i was asked today not incredibly so but if I was to ask you what the end result of this labor negotiation will be, not in terms of what the what the CBA will look like, but what the 2022 season will look like, what would your answer be? I think that's a pretty reasonable guess by you. I, I look at it right now with two potential outcomes. I don't think, I, I hope I'm wrong on this, but I don't think a deal is getting done much before March 1st. I think it's mm-hmm. probably somewhere in the neighborhood of March 1st to March 10th at this point. Um, and if that happens, uh, maybe they can salvage a full 162. Um, we also have to remember 
there, there's a there's a balancing game in the minds of clubs, especially right now, which is how many games can we give up, if any, without pissing off the fans, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's because let's remember what games they're going to be giving up. The least profitable games on the schedule. We can't yes, discount no, we, no games in Detroit. Yep, we can't discount the fact that April is the least profitable month for Major League Baseball teams. The, the weather is not good. The attendance is lower. Uh, ergo, you don't make as much money. So Right, they're com- I, I, competing with March Madness in the, yep, in the NBA season, yep. yeah. I'm not sitting here and saying that MLB is going to be willing to punt on April. I I hope that's not the case. I don't believe that's the case. But it certainly has to play into the calculus, the fact that the, the games in April, uh, if MLB were to lose them, they would be uh, the, the ones that hurt the least. Um, but, but how much would losing any games hurt in the minds of fans? I, I think that, to me is maybe the best leverage that the players association has expanded playoffs. Yeah, for yeah sure. that's great. But, but the, the long-term consequences of this, we, we have to, we have to look at who gets uh, hurt in the short term and who gets hurt in the long term. In the short term, uh, players with finite careers uh, are the ones that are getting hurt. But in the long term, uh, owners careers as owners uh, are a lot longer than the average player career. And uh, if Major League Baseball and, and its owners really want to shoot themselves in the foot, really want to cut off their nose to spite their face, uh, th- then fans have every reason and right to be angry at them and rage against them for that. Do you think there is considerable risk of losing, I'll just set a number, like a third of the season or more? No. Okay. I don't either. I just I'm stop, I, I'm not I'm not there yet. I can't get there. No, no. I'm definitely we're too far away from that. Do I see it as being a possibility? Hell, absolutely. It's a possibility. Things can go sideways in a hurry. I just uh, maybe maybe I sit here and think that MLB recognizes the damage that that would do. And says, okay, enough of this. Uh, we got to stop it. Uh, maybe I, I sit here and see a group of players who understand that uh, th- their careers are so short that losing any time is problematic. And they're the ones who say, okay, let's stop this. Or, or maybe in, in an idealistic world, I see both of them sitting there looking at one another saying, um, what the hell are we doing killing the golden goose? And I would, I would hope that it does not come to that point. Uh, but listen, we've been talking for an hour now about what a damn mess the labor situation is. Um, if we can sit here and have an easy one-hour conversation on it being a mess, then absolutely uh, a third of a season could be lost. Things could go south, right? I just, I always, you know, it's easy to say. And I, do, I genuinely believe it that it's kind of too big to fail. 
But then there's always like that's this piece in the back of my brain going, that's way too simple an answer. But I still believe it. Like it's just it's just too much. Well, it's 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 Occam's it's it's Occam's razor. Like you know what's the what's the answer? The answer is don't fuck up the good thing you have. <laughs> but right. But but some but but the the idea that uh, all men any men are rational and and can look at it the same way that you and I do when we you know. We don't have actual skin in the game, but like our our careers, um, uh, we need baseball. Yeah, some would say some would say our livelihoods, um, and and beyond that, just our love of something uh, depends on that. So I I don't think we're we're sitting here as as people who are being irrational about wanting the game to be back and wanting the sides to come to fair uh, and agreeable terms that put the game, not the players, not the owners, the game in the best place possible. Mm -hmm. So on that, after the 67 minutes of utter positivity, we'll take a break. come back we'll talk about our musical guest nervous curtains we'll read your emails we'll catch up with jeff we'll have a moment of culture all the usual stuff stick around
Welcome back to the podcast. You just heard a song by Nervous Curtains. Some electronic fun from friend of the show, Sean Kilpatrick. He's in a couple of bands. We'll play his other band another time. But this is Nervous Curtains, which is composed comprised solely of synthesizers, live drums, and vocals. Uh, this is from the album I Tried to Fight It, But I Was Inside It, which was their fourth album. They're from Dallas, Texas. So cool things do come out of Texas musically. There's plenty of cool bands from Texas. Uh, it's heavy music with a primary focus on rhythm, rhythm, syncopation, and movement. This is not retro, draft. That's what they say. This is not retro. No, it is a menace. It is a menacing sound that mirrors the fear, disorder, and defiance of the present moment. So fitting for the hour we just did before you heard that song. Uh, Nervous Curtains, if you want to learn more about them, nervouscurtains.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Nervous Curtains. Thanks to Sean for sending us tracks and giving us music for the show. It's time for emails. Jeff, are you ready for emails? I am ready. Emails, send them to us, chinmusic at fangraphs.com. They all get read, and some of them get read on the show. Our first email comes from Jeff, former child and now adult child of United Auto Workers members. We're going to stick with the labor thing for a little bit here. Hello, Kevin, and lauded co-host. That's you, Jeff. Wow. With an active MLB lockout and a heated labor market in our current economic climate, my interest in labor unions has peaked. Could you provide any insight into the workings of the MLBPA and the membership of its players? I mean, we should mention, like, like look, pro-labor, great. I am too. Um, MLBPA is is probably the most unique union in the country. It is comprised <laughs> of, you know, 1,200 people um, with a, a minimum salary of, you know, $600,000. Um, it's a unique union. It's a, it, it, it does not function like most. It is a very unique thing. Um, but yes, this for the questions. Let's let's answer them. Are only members of the forty man eligible for membership? Yes, correct. That's how you become members is by by being on a major league baseball roster. Um, how are minor leaguers impacted? Is there a separate MILB union? There is not, which is why they get treated like shit. Um, <laughs> but uh, I would venture. Things are to getting say, better. I would venture to say in the next five years there will be. I, I hope you're right. And there are, you know, we we had, you know, like previous guests from from advocates for the minor leaguers and, and um, you know, the lawsuit that's currently uh, in, in litigation um, yeah. concerning concerning back pay and things like that. Um, it's it's likely coming, but they are not in a union and they are also, you know, therefore not really given any thought in these kind of negotiations because they're not part of the union. Um it's, 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 it, it is, I will say it is interesting to me that players have started to pay attention. Well, no, but beyond that, that, uh, the MLBPA has, despite not having, uh, MILB players in the union negotiated on their behalf in both international and domestic, uh, acquisition Drafts. processes. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like, so, right. Yeah, the the frankly, uh, minor league players have been cannon fodder for the MLBPA to use in in past agreements. So I I would right. I would hope that changes, but the fact that the international draft is is likely to come shows that it's probably not gonna. It's always an afterthought, and I, I know I've said this on the show before, but I think three three CBAs a lo- before, ago, the union and Major League Baseball had their press conference saying they came to an agreement and then they went back to the table to figure out the draft. That's how much they care about the draft. <laughs> which which is which is really funny to think about considering how impactful the draft is, right? Some somebody right. somebody made a 
very compelling argument to me that the draft is the key to this entire thing. That the, that the draft is the fulcrum uh, on on which uh, labor can balance if done correctly, right. because you can use and leverage the draft. Uh, in all sorts of ways, whether it's competitive balance, whether it's competitive integrity, whether it's uh, effects that it has on free agency. I mean, the the draft is one of those very unique, malleable things where if there were, Kevin, a better relationship between the two sides, uh, that's where they could get creative and try and come up with something that's mutually beneficial. Right. Uh, next question. Are there union dues? Are they a flat fee or a percentage of the player's salary? I don't know this one. Uh, I know I, there are dues, but I don't know if they're a fee or a percentage. Uh, they are a flat uh, fee, $85 a day times 186 days, which I believe, if I'm doing it in my head, is somewhere in the neighborhood of like six, yeah, 16 grand, between 15 and 16 grand a year. Um, there you so. go. And and, and 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 to be clear, like some of this obviously goes to the MLBPA to cover their costs, but they also have um, for situations like we were possibly going to get into, there is a, a, a chest. There is a massive money. war chest, but the chest comes less from dues and more from licensing money. So Okay. The, the, that's the, oh that's right. They've actually withheld licensing money the last yes. couple of years to put it into the chest. So so the so with the union, the way group licensing works is that the MLBPA uh, essentially sells rights of name, uh, image and likeness Two partners. For example, the ones you see when you play MLB The Show. Exactly. And the reason that Barry Bonds was John Dowd, as, as we were talking about before, is because Barry Bonds pulled out in 2003 of the group license. He was the first player, I believe, in the history of the MLBPA to do that. And I'm not sure there's been one since. But the group license generally is a the, the sort of thing where uh, less... Uh, uh, players with lower profiles benefit from the right. existence of the higher profile players. And there's the acknowledgement among those higher profile players that uh, the, those who don't have quite the uh, marketability are going to benefit uh, because it's a union, because they're together, because uh, everyone right. is seen as the same and, and the payment should be accordingly. Right. And the MLB licensing is, is, is taken in by the LBPA and then distributed equally amongst all union members. Correct. Um, but leading to kind of a follow-up to the Barry Bonds thing, are there active players who refuse to join the union? No. 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 Here's my question that I don't know the answer to, Jeff. Could you? I'm... If Joe Reliever with the twin, if Joe Reliever with the twins said, "I don't want to be in the in the union," could he do it? I think so, but. What? I'm not. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. I don't know. Like I, we, I, I know why. Whatever. He was. You know. He hates unions. He's. He's. You know. He's. He has some weird attitude towards something, um, and he doesn't want to be in the union. Could he do it? I don't think there's. I don't. I don't I, think there's anything I, preventing a player from doing it. I don't think that joining. I'm the almost union, certain though there are no players not in the union though, right? Correct. Yeah. I don't think that joining yeah. the union is a mandatory condition because let's remember uh, Kevin Millar was was never in the union because he crossed the picket line. Stabbed. So right. so you can play in Major League Baseball while not being a member of the MLBPA. I just don't think right. that any players have chosen, uh, actively chosen, to not join the union. Right. Our next email comes from Francis. Lighten up, Francis. Lighten up! <laughs> <laughs> 
God, poor Francis. Poor Francis. Like, both of us, independent of one another, said that at the exact same time. Imagine Which, what poor Francis deals with on a daily basis. I don't like, know, but does he deal with a lot of middle-aged white guys, though, who immediately have that as a knee-jerk reaction? No, but, like, if I meet someone named Bob, I get really excited for something bad happening so I could look at him and go, not great, Bob. <laughs> How many times have you said that to Bob Nightingale? Uh, I, I, uh, this is the actual truth. I did say it to Bob Nightingale one time and I don't think he got it, which is okay. Like right. and I, he may not, he may not be, he may not be a Mad Men fan. Like that's cool. He might not be. And he, and he certainly provides you with plenty of opportunities to say it. Um, oh, come on. <laughs> Jesus. Nightingale is such a, he's such a nice man. I love Bob. Bob's a good, Bob's a good hang too. Like. I, think, I believe I that. People, I don't think I don't think people know this about Bob. Like Bob closed down closes down bars. Mm-hmm. Like Bob's the last. Bob gets down. Like I I'm a I'm a I'm pro Bob Nightingale big time. <laughs> Francis writes, "Hi Kevin, you've mentioned being consulted about hires and getting asked to provide references, both when you were at the Astros and after. To what extent, if any, do you see teams looking for diversity in the front office, or is it mostly just white guys who already have baseball jobs?" Were you or are you aware of any ongoing efforts to identify and promote qualified black and Latino talent or women such as Rachel Balkovic? Um, I think it's mixed. I think there are plenty of teams who still operate uh, in a completely old boys club way mm-hmm. and manner. And I think there are clubs. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I know of a very specific club who wanted who said who wanted to hire someone in a position and the people that they liked that were qualified did not were not diverse, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. And they made two decisions. <laughs> the first was in the short term, was that they hired someone who was not diverse to fill that role because they needed to fill that role. But in addition to that, they tried to identify someone from within the organization who was not a white man who was a, a who would provide some diversity and say, "This is a person who can down the road." take this role and they put that person under the person they hired with the understanding that this person is your replacement train them. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's uh, a good thing. Yeah. I, I, I love the fact that Kim Ng is the general manager for the Miami Marlins because, yeah, uh, because now, now women getting into baseball can say reasonably that, uh, somebody with whom I have this very vital thing in common is in a position that I would like to be in. I love the fact that Rachel Balkovic is going to be managing the Tampa Tarpons this upcoming season because now women can look at her and say, uh, this thing that I never thought I was going to be able to do, uh, there's now there's now a pathway to me for that. The, the problem that I have with with major league baseball and with the nba and with the nfl and with sports in general is that these sorts of hires feel at this point more anomalous than some sort of tide turning and agree yeah yeah, yeah. and 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 i think i think until there is buy in um from a, a league office that if you look at the people in charge at Major League Baseball, it is a bunch of middle-aged white men. 
That's just like right. that's who runs MLB now. If you look at ownership, uh, it is generally speaking a bunch of old white men. Um, and and there, listen, there are examples to the contrary. Uh, Artie Moreno, uh, I know Derek Jeter is a majority owner, but right, uh, right. you know is running the the day to day in Miami. There there are examples, but. Uh, to, to me, it has to be the sort of initiative and effort that's not being done to check boxes, but being done to make the game better. The 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 idea of of having more people of color and more women hired in baseball is is not to hire people of color and women. It's to make the game smarter and better and have more perspectives. And, and and I think, you know, anyone who's worked in an office understands that the, the greater diversity of perspectives you have, uh, the, the likelier so you are important. to come to a better decision. And, no and this is, yeah. and, and this is, this is, this is diversity of backgrounds in, in a number of ways. Um, the, this is, uh, in in the schools that you went to, in the education you have, socioeconomically, like uh, I understand the instinct to want to go out and and hire somebody who went to an Ivy League school because that's supposed to be where the smartest people go and where the tip top education is had. Uh, but fact is, some of the smartest people I know in my life went to shitty colleges uh, because either they didn't have the money. Uh, or the resources to to go to the big mm-hmm. brand names that doesn't make That's them right. any less smart. Frankly, I think that makes them a little bit smarter in oh, that they yeah. can provide a perspective. Dude, look at you! You didn't go to college, like. But I, as somebody who worked in baseball for eight years and dealt with a lot of Ivy League people, I got to say, not impressed. <laughs> Okay, so there are very you know, impressive. I, there are very impressive Ivy League people out there. Oh, there are also, sure. but there even, are also, but even there before also that, ones you, there are also ones you look at and you say, "He went to an Ivy League." What? Yeah, like my my first real job, like real real job, um, was for a, a, a management consulting firm, a big six consulting firm, Capgemini, um, who only hired out of um, whatever Northwestern's business school is called. I forget Kellogg. Har- they all, right? They all hired out of Kellogg. Uh, University of Chicago Business School, Harvard Business School, Stanford. Mm-hmm. That was it. That was they, they only recruited those four places. Everyone who came yep. in was from one of those four schools. And so I just dealt with those people. Not impressed. I just, uh, you know, it's it's just the the recognition and and the understanding that uh, a a woman's um, contributions to a baseball organization are are not the fact uh, of her gender. Right, it's not being mm-hmm. a woman that makes Rachel Balkovic a, a special hire. It's having the life experience and 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 seeing the world through a lens that ninety nine point nine percent of people in baseball can't fathom, can't understand, can't imagine, and and using that, leveraging that to your advantage. Everybody out there from different backgrounds can provide advantageous things toward making baseball teams and making the sport of baseball better. And and it's incumbent on the people at the top. And I understand there is, uh, a, you know, the, the diversity and inclusion uh, fellowship that baseball started, which I think is, is a good thing. And, and that places uh, a, a number of 
very worthy candidates in organizations. But generally speaking, I think the the people who have gotten those uh, those fellowships have have come from the same sort of like upper crust, the same uh, source, best yeah. best you know best schools in the country background. And I I get it. Like I understand why they're attractive. I I just I I wish there there was more of an emphasis on perspective rather than just checking boxes. I I wish the reason right. behind it. Uh, people were as passionate as the reason for the reasons behind it as they are just the idea of doing it. Right, and there's still a lot of box checking in baseball. There's still a lot Too of much. it, and, and, Too much. and there's actually and the thing is, like with a lot of the with a lot of large hirings, managers, GMs up, there actually is a requirement for Major League Baseball, frankly, to check a box. Right. Yep, hundred um, percent. You know, and I know I know people in this game who are um, who are not white men who get permissions asked on them and do interviews all the time and they know when they get it that that team is does not really interested in them they're just interested in checking the box yeah that's uh i mean it's listen we're we're also living in an era where uh, uh the the nfl is uh, a, i just read yesterday they, have, they now have one black head coach. that's exactly right the nfl is a significant majority black league and there is one black head coach so uh as as much as i want to sit here and uh, say that baseball is is not doing well, uh, and it's not doing as well as it should. Uh, there there are worse leagues. Our final email comes from Chris. Chris says, "Hi Kevin, an esteemed co-host. That's Ooh. you. You've been esteemed. You've been lauded. <laughs> in your in your chat last week, you said that baseball transactions are handled by an internal system called eBiz, and that if I'm understanding correctly, transactions are made simply by clicking on a player name." I was randomly reminded of a 2016 trade in which the Red Sox acquired Brad Ziegler for Luis Alejandro Pasabe. And Jeff Passan, who, by the way, is the co-host this week. Was this just random? That, yeah. Wow. This came before I even booked you. Wrote that an anonymous GM told him, I was just wondering if they know they got the wrong Pasabe, referring to <laughs> Luis Alejandro's twin brother, Luis Alexander Pasabe. Would this be possible? Could a team click on the wrong name in eBiz or some other mechanism and acquire the wrong player in a trade? Would there be any sort of appeal process to the league office if this happened? And have you ever heard stories of teams trading or almost trading for the wrong player? Um, I think that happened in the Basabe trade first. <laughs> so yes, it could. <laughs> so, but you know, let's uh, quick sausage thing. So, so eBiz is, is is it's a website, right? It's just it's a website. You log into eBiz and you see your stuff. Yep. Um, but you do, but you know, on July thirty first, when that's the trade deadline, um, you have you know in 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 your war room there is somebody usually you know usually with a title something like director of baseball operations, who's your you know basically for lack of a term your eBiz person, um, logged into eBiz, ready to do what they need to do. And so uh, you've agreed upon a trade, and medicals have been exchanged, and you start entering this trade into eBiz, and you, you just say, "We, as this team, are going to trade this player and this player to who? Click on team for who? Click on that player. Click on this player. Submit, right? And then it gets submitted, and then the team on the other end of the trade." Then we'll get an alert and they'll go into eBiz and they'll look at the trade and they'll hit confirm. And then it's done. And I honestly do think 
that they clicked on the wrong Basabe. The other team saw Basabe and just clicked confirm because they were rushed because God knows you get rushed at the end of a trade deadline sometimes. Um, and there's not a big difference between Luis Alejandro Basabe and Luis Alexander Basabe. Um, and they just clicked yes, yes. And it was done. I mean, I, you know, it's someone what I, was, what I would have, you know, what I would have seen trades happen like with, you know, less than a minute on the clock. I could see this happen. What I would have deeply appreciated is if Alejandro just like flew his middle finger in the air and wound up being better than Alexander. But no, but no, it turns out it didn't matter. No, Al, here's the thing: Alexander made the big leagues. Alejandro's still kicking around. He was in Double A this past year, so uh, right. But like, like neither player turned into someone. Like, there's no Basabe jerseys in the crowd or anything like that. No one turned into that player. But it would have been great if one of them did. I know it. Uh, God, I don't. I don't even. Uh, th- that is such a throwback. I'm not sure. If I remember, like deep in the recesses of my memory, maybe I remember tweeting that. Um, I, <laughs> I, have, I I don't remember who said that to me though. It's a great it's a great quote though. God, what a oh yeah, what a, di- what a dickhead thing to say. <laughs> poor, poor poor Alejandro. Like as the as the man, maybe I I don't know if I would run that quote today. I don't think I would. <laughs> I don't know if I was like an asshole back then, but I think I've just become, I, mean, I, I think I've softened as time has gone on. And I just, ah, we all have it a good way. I know. I just look like, I mean, it's really funny, but that's the sort of thing that I probably now would like text to you. As opposed to tweeting out. Like you, like you find the, Andy McCullough does this all the time. Andy McCullough is is one of the funniest people I know, and oh, yeah, and he and he texts me things and says, "Should I tweet this?" And he knows he knows <laughs> the answer is no. He should not tweet this, but uh, the fact that he lets me in on jokes uh, makes makes me very, makes me very happy. <laughs> and the fact that I the fact that I know that this thing that he's thinking exists uh, usually gives me a good laugh. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, eBiz is fun. Um, and then sometimes, like, so the end of the trade, and then sometimes you also have to wait for MLB to approve the trade if there's money involved. Yes. Which, I don't know of a deal that MLB ever said no. I'm sure they have. Alex Rodriguez. Like, Alex certainly never involved in one. Alex Rodriguez, right. The Alex Rodriguez money deal was too much for them. Yep. But, like, I remember, like, the, the Zach Granke deal, which came down to the wire wire of the wires. Um, there was quite a, there was quite a bit of money. There was a lot of money, and that, and that did take time for MLB to approve it because the money was also complicated in terms of it was this much this year, this uh-huh. much that year. It was a lot, and um, and like we just sit there and wait for MLB to require. And it was like we're sitting there going, like, "Do they know it's two fifty seven? You know, and um, yeah, and it, it was you know the medicals didn't get done till like two fifty five. God, that um, was that was that was an unpleasant day. It, that, the, the the most fun part was the fact that you know. You know, in the war room, like you're sitting there with the TV on, right? So you're you're seeing all, and you know, someone has a Twitter window open, and, and like you're keeping track of everything else that's going on, and like the deadline came, and and we're like, nobody has this. Well, that's nobody why that's no, that's why it was an unpleasant day because Rosenthal yeah. Rosenthal got it after the buzzer, and I was sitting that I knew there was a big trade. Somebody told me there's there's something left, go find it, 
and <laughs> and I thought it was I probably I'm pretty sure I texted you and you ignored me. Oh, okay, I guarantee, you, yeah. yeah. I, I, my, my phone, my phone was on notifications off. Well, because because I also I also learned like you learn over time that there are certain people uh, about whom you can ask transactions and and they will help you out, and there are certain people who won't. And I I learned over a, a period of time that you were not going to help me out on transactions, which was fine. Like I I, yeah. I I totally get it, but there are some deals where they're so big. You say, fuck it. I don't care if he hasn't helped me in the past. Maybe he yeah, will. Yeah, of course. And, and you take your yeah, I, I, it's, not like, it's not like I was mad at you for texting no, me. No, like, no, 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 no. You know, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I understand completely. And when, when that thing, God, that was just, it was so, the, the, worst, the worst ones are the ones where you think you're close and then you just get gut shot. And <laughs> Kenny, Kenny, Kenny gut shot me that day. Um, that's it for emails. Send us emails. Tinmusic at fancrafts.com. It's time to catch up with Jeff. Jeff, I, I'm going to build off your gut shot thing. So you are in the news breaking business. That's part of your job is to break news. Do you seem based on the emotion of what you just said that you're kind of into it? Are you? Is that accurate? Mm, yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I... I think there are people who do what I do who, like, live for it, who... Yeah. Uh, that's never going to be me. I didn't, I didn't get into the business to break news. And that's, that, it's a very interesting shift that I've seen with the generation, not just of writers coming up, but of fans coming up, the way that the newsbreaker has become... Um, the, the goal like that that's not why I got into journalism and it's not it, it is not the thing out of which I derive the most pleasure or joy like I've learned mm-hmm. to enjoy that part of the job probably because I've gotten good at it like for a long time I, I just despised it and loathed it because I sucked at it and I, I don't enjoy doing things at which I'm not particularly good um, but, uh, I've, I've come to accept its importance to, to my life, to my career, to my place in the game. And I, I appreciate that people look at me as a trustworthy, as a trustworthy source. Like that to me is, is what mm-hmm. I glean from it, that, that fans, believe when I say something that it is correct because I have a track record of saying things that are correct. Right. When I, when I came to Fangraphs, I made it clear to Meg and David Appleman for two very evenly balanced reasons that I did not want to be a newsbreaker. The first mm-hmm. reason was I have no desire to do it. And the second reason yep. is there's no way I can be as good as, as Jeff and Ken. Like it's just not going to happen. And so um, and so I have no interest in it. Like I'll, I, you know, me and Eric will woge the draft every year. That's fine. We can sure. do that. Totally. And that's, that's, you know, that's, and I actually that, and I like doing that, but like you're breaking the stuff, like breaking the trades in the three, it's just not my, not my vibe. No, um, it's, no, it's, it's, it's a, it, it can but, be a very, it can be a very nauseating existence. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, um, the, the lockout has 
reminded me what life is like without transactions. And it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, I was talking to someone, yeah, someone in the media who like, you know, like when you know, went somewhere for the holidays, like many people do. And they're like, it was just kind of so nice not to, to know that there wasn't going to be something that was going to make me change my plans in the middle of my little holiday with my family. And all of a sudden I had to like figure out what we're going to do about this transaction, you know, and, and, and that was nice. Um, I, I will, I will say this, uh, the, the thing that swayed me on transactions and on not looking at them anymore, like I did at the past, like, um, it's, you know, feeding, feeding this unrelenting beast that, uh, that, that the, the, the dopamine hit you get instantaneously goes away very quickly and the return on investment isn't much. Uh, I, uh, chasing transactions makes me a much, much, much smarter baseball fan. Mm. Uh, it makes me understand the industry. It makes me understand the machinations. It makes me understand uh, the power players, who they are, how they work, uh, what what their goals and interests and ethos are. And, and when you understand the people who are running the sport and what motivates them, I think you understand the sport better. And so, I think it's a really good way of looking at. It. I like. I, I've never thought about it that way, but I, I really like the way of looking at that because breaking the news itself is the value of that to you is more is more um, uh, an accumulation than in the moment. Like you know what I mean. Like like you you can build your reputation, like you said, as someone who when you tweet something, it's right, and someone who breaks news, and that's good for for that's good for your brand. But like. You know, if you asked me 15 minutes ago who broke the Zach Greinke trade, I would have went, I don't know. Yeah, I have exactly. no idea. I don't know. No. I don't know who broke it. I don't know who broke the Max Scherzer signing to the Mets. I have no idea. I don't know who who finally got it first. Yeah, I have that, no idea. That one, that one was not me. I was I was pretty late on that one. Which, uh... but like, yeah, but like with any of those, like, but 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 the value to you is more something that that you know, is, you, is know why, you know what you know why you know I was late on the Scherzer signing actually. I was late on the Scherzer signing because I was 99.9% sure before it was out there, but I wasn't 100. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you th this is this is not like to excuse well, I mean, well, what? This is not to excuse the times that I lose because uh, it's inevitable that you're you're going to lose on certain things, but the calculus in my head with Max Scherzer was this. Even though I believe deep down this is happening, even if I'm uh, to the point where I would wager multiple paychecks on this happening, um, that tiny little sliver of a possibility that it doesn't happen is far, far, far more damaging to what I've tried to spend years building up, which is trust. And, and that trust can go away in a flash when you get something wrong. And, and listen, right. I, I have been involved in situations with Max Scherzer before where others got it wrong. And I do not begrudge them. I do not look down upon them. Fact is, other people got lied to. And they trusted. And sometimes you get screwed. Um, I got lied to that day too. But thankfully, I had people who were telling me the truth. And I, I did not, you know, this was on the trade deadline day. When everyone thought Scherzer was going to San Diego, the I I was yep. I think I think I might have been the only one not out there, and it was the worst day of 2021 for me because for three hours I was sitting there feeling like 
I'm so horseshit at my job that I don't know the biggest trade that's going down and that I can't find somebody who will confirm it to me. And, and the reality is I couldn't find somebody who would confirm it to me because I'm actually like, okay, at my job, it turns out. And I, you know, I, I couldn't find someone who could confirm it to me because the trade wasn't done. So uh, on, on a day like that, uh, sometimes uh, not getting the story is the best thing that you can mm-hmm. do. And I, I, I took the so same. So what is your standard? I, I like just. When do you, when do, when do you have enough? Like, like, do you need, like, I mean, like, you know, the old. You know the, the shitty journalism because you need need two sources, but that's no, no, no. Like no, if you no, have no. one source, it's yeah. But if if you have one person, then you know they're in the room, and they say, and you trust them, and they say, yeah, this is happening. If you like, have, if you, uh, here's here's my threshold for that. If I have one person with direct knowledge who, for multiple years, has always told me the truth, right? And and on top of that, I see no reason to be lied to about a particular. There's going to come a point at which someone lies to me. I don't know if it's going to be for revenge. I don't know if it's going to be who knows. I'm going to get lied to and I just hope that my my smell test is good enough to to figure it out before I print it. Uh gen- generally right. speaking though so, I mean, like I was I was definitely so, lied to during the free agent rush. Like I just straight up got lied to by someone and like 5 minutes later I I found out and called was the lie was the lie this isn't happening or was the lie this is happening the lie was this isn't happening which is a whole lot better than this is happening right i would rather be told not to print something that's true than to print something that isn't true right i understand so let me ask you this if you uh, let's go back to the zach ranky deal i had never (laughs) ever given you anything on a transaction and you text me and i'm excited and i like you and and you haven't published an article about an email i sent you and, <laughs> and i and i respond that's fair it's fair and i respond i'm surprised it t- with, i'm surprised it took an hour and, uh, how long are we going now <laughs> <laughs> and i respond with and i and i respond and i go yes it's happening like we're like the medicals are done we're it's done like we got like we got cranky and, and 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 here's who we've given up would you would that have been enough for you yeah because you don't lie to me because I've known you for okay. a long time, because you're in the room, and because I wouldn't have asked you if I didn't have a, an idea that something was was going down already, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so there's like the partial tip that you then can take to uh, a trustworthy source or sources uh, and get the confirmation. I'm going to ask you a question. I don't know if you're going to answer this or not. Um, would you say in breaking free agent deals, not trades, free agent deals, that you're leaning more on teams or agents? Mix. There are people. Is it like 50 50? I don't know if it's 50 50. There, there are also uh, one of the, one of the interesting things about baseball, uh, and this job in the era of social media. I get a lot of tips from people outside organized baseball. And, and I'm including agents in, in organized baseball. Um, mm-hmm. there, there are friends. There are family. Um, there are youth coaches. There, there are just, you know, hangers on of all manners and variety who 
because it's interesting. Like I, I never, I never saw this sort of thing happening, but it's gotten to the point now where a lot of people see me, I think, as the person who breaks news. And, and because of that, there's almost this compulsion to give it to me. It's, it's like a, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's like a self-feeding cycle. And and so I I can't tell you the number of tips that I've gotten. Like Tony LaRusso's DUI came from a Twitter DM. Right. I mean, wow. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, uh, the, the first, the first inkling I had on Corey Seager to the Rangers Twitter DM. Like from someone, from someone outside. Oh yeah. 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 That one, that one's a, that one's a like story for the memoirs. That that one, that's like a, a a mind boggler right there. Just how (laughs) like seeing, seeing the sausage get made and, and the, the reality, like the, the reality is for someone who's supposed to be in the know, like I am. Um, there are always people who know shit before I do. It's just a matter of, or, you know, are they willing to tell me? Or are they willing to help me? And I've been... And this is and part I, of your job, though, right? Like, ESPN expects you to break news, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay. Yeah, and, and they should. Because mm-hmm. here's here's the, the benefit of breaking news, um, and this kind of dovetails a little bit with what I was saying before, Uh because it makes me uh, a, a more informed writer, when I'm writing about labor, I can do so from a much more intelligent perspective. When I'm writing feature stories on guys, uh, there there are more people, my network is wider, more people who may have that anecdote that makes a feature that much better. Uh, there are more people uh, whom I can take my teammates at ESPN and connect them with or introduce them to so they can get better so they can contribute so they can do their jobs at a higher level and and take their careers to places where they'd like to like it it just helps in so many areas that are important to me beyond the actual news breaking itself like i want to work with a group of highly competent highly skilled highly productive people it's it's a dream for anyone and i get to do that and getting to help them out getting to to help them be better having them help me get better uh that's that's what you like that's that's the dream right that's what you work for you work for a paycheck but you also uh can work for fulfillment and i never thought that i would get that out of this job that can be just nauseating and and just ego killing and uh you know keep you away from your family and do have all these negative consequences i i still love it anyway because of the things that it ends up bringing you so let me ask you that getting getting away from the breaking news of, of transactions and the breaking news of what we talked about in the first segment which was labor negotiations yesterday um, the two sides spoke. It was over a video call. Um, and and very shortly afterwards, there's a full story at ESPN written by you and Jesse Rogers, or as they used to call him when he was a big part of Chicago radio, Jesse Rogers. Um, <laughs> and that was, that was good. Thank you. I, I, I've lived here a long time. And so, so 
that came out real quick, and I'm like, man, they got. You don't have. To, I don't know if you're answering this question either. When this meeting happened, did you have real time access to the video or audio of the discussion? No. Okay. Have you ever? No, I feel like that's a. Uh... Is that crossing a line? Yeah, to me, that's crossing a line. Okay. So if someone if, said, if somebody, if, if someone said, if someone said to you, "Hey, I'm going to be on this call. I'll just turn my speakerphone on. Would you take it?" No. Okay. If somebody recorded it and sent it to me, that's different. Really? What? To, tell me. Explain the difference to me. I'm, 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 I'm interested in this. So, so what's the difference between someone saying, "Hey, this call's happening. I'm just going to put my speakerphone so you can listen in," or someone just says, "Hey, this meeting just happened. Here's a recording of it." What's the difference? I feel like doing it in real time is eavesdropping. I feel like. Uh, mm. Getting it afterward uh, is somebody making an an active decision to inform me about something that happened. Okay, I don't know. I you know, journalistically, no, I understand I, where you're coming. No, from. no, but journalistically, I may be wrong. Like I I know the story of, um, you know, the story of how the grand jury testimony of Barry Bonds was broken. Um, I, I believe T.J. Quinn like found himself in a room next to the where the grand jury was being impaneled, and and heard it through a wall, like <laughs> you know he didn't he didn't actively try to get into something, but uh, if it was given to him, if it was right there in that situation, he took it. I feel like if somebody is is calling me up, that's an active choice that's being made in the moment. But afterward, yeah. I, see, I'm trying to do my logic here in real time, and I don't know. How, I'm saying, like, I know I of a, I know of a conference call that happened within an organization that a journalist was able to dial into, and, and did, and did he or she? Okay, okay, that's interesting. I, yeah, I, I don't think I'd be comfortable doing that. I don't know. I just think there, I, I think there are certain certain barriers like um if i'm not invited to something should i be there in that moment mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. no I, I hear you i'm just wondering it's, just, it's interesting i i haven't thought of, i i gotta give it more thought now because again i don't know if my logic is is very sound here that i would take it afterward but i wouldn't do it in the moment what's what's the difference right i, I, don't I yeah i'll be honest with you so if someone said this labor talk's gonna go on, i'll put it on speaker and you can listen i would take it you would all right but I, but I have no integrity in the first place. <laughs> That's why I wrote a story about you. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, so, uh, is there anything that you wish you were doing in the baseball journalism world that you don't do? Hmm. Welcome yeah. to the silent part yeah, of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, there, there are plenty of stories that I I would like to do that not, I haven't done yet. Not, not like no, not like that. Like more of a general thing. I wish I did this more. I wish I, like you know, whatever. Like I wish I was in the booth during a game. I wish nope. I was. I wish I did something like this or something like that. No, like you, the, you, the you, people, you're doing what you want to no, do the people, as a job. The, the people, the people who are in the booth are way better than I would be in there. Um, They're way better than most people think. Like it, oh. it, it's. Yeah, people don't appreciate how, how hard that job is. I mean, just I, the, I, I absolutely believe that. Just the the I mean, like, look at who we have on play by play. Like, 
it's you know Boog Shambi, awesome. Jason Benetti, awesome. Carl Ravage, oh, like we have all sorts of really talented people doing this mm-hmm. job. Dave Fleming's fantastic. Um, I mean, the, we're we're just very lucky, I think, in baseball to to have the best play by play people. Um, yeah. Whether whether it's it's Len Casper. Uh, I think Joe Davis is phenomenal. I think Michael Kay does a great job. Like the, you know, uh, Orsillo. Like it's, the, it, it's really hard. Yeah, I I, th- I will say this. I think the color analysts in baseball, generally speaking, are substandard. It's hard to find. It's, um, I think it's hard to find good color guys. I think it's also. I think they also select from the wrong pool at times too like they feel like they have to have an ex-player and, and things i think there are people who are not ex-players who would be really good at color analysis yeah the, i the think because there's like this desire to have a name of some kind yeah i think there's also though the perspective i i actually agree that playing matters when it comes to to color analysis. i think those guys help by I, I think that helps but i don't think they have to be exclusive yeah that's fair that's fair uh i i think the best color analysts tend to be former players though and but because but that's not that's all you have. Uh, okay, that's that's reasonable. Um, I just I'm I, like the Sunday night booth with Eduardo Perez and, and David Cohn. I think is going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Yeah. Like you got to you got to know Eddie when he was with the Astros, right? Yeah, he's great. Yeah, I I just think he is he is so so smart and sees things that the average fan doesn't. Like his ab- and also loves baseball. Oh, digs baseball like loves yeah. it, and that's like you know you talk about like like I think John Smoltz loves baseball, but I do still think he spends three hours complaining about baseball every every game, and I don't think it's good. Yeah, there there's there's a lot of that, and and that's you know it's not great for the game. It's not. It's not good for the game. Like it's just amazing. Like during the playoffs, you have a three hour. It's three hours of someone complaining about the game. It's just like, what this is. Here's here's the here's not how you promote a yeah, game. Here's the issue, though. There there are things to complain about in the game today. There are, but like, yeah, I don't, you you and I, I you are, and I like, disagree. To, to spend uh, all three hours doing it, I yeah. think is you, silly. You and, and I, you and I, di- I don't think he's in particular is complaining about the right. We stuff. disagree on length of game. You think length of game is is immaterial, right? I think like the game is immaterial, but I if I can make a, a subtle difference, I think pace of game is a problem. Like I don't think I you know I think a I'm fine with a 14 inning game that goes four and a half hours. It's super entertaining. I think the pace of game is a problem, and I think literally 99 percent of that's up with the pitch clock. And I I think yeah, I what they so I'm too. frustrated by what they've I'm frustrated by what they've done. Like like the the three batter rule has literally had the Zero. effect of on game length of the three is, is measured in seconds. And so, why are we I, doing this? I mean, it's a it's, dumb rule. Yeah. Get rid of it. Yeah. And I, so, but the the, the, pit, the pitch clock literally, look, man, I went to an Arizona Fall League game this year that was a fucking shit show. Like 16 to 10, every, the guys walking the ballpark, errors, mid-inning pitching changes, just a nightmare. Still under three hours? And then, 257. Yep, yep, yep. Pitch, pitch clock, you know, I, like, I think the pitch clock instantaneously would shave 15 minutes minimum yeah and i think at baseline yeah i think that's the answer to everything and, and the fact that they, they're, they're always kind of playing in the margins i find really frustrating but i don't 
I don't have a, a problem with length of game. I do have a I think the pace is a problem and something that needs to be addressed. I also, it's also me being like a reactionary dickhead to baseball writers complaining about still being at the, at the park. Do baseball writers do that though? They do. Some do. And that it's like, yeah, tough shit. You have a good job. Yeah. I, I feel, I deal feel, with it. I feel the, the only time I felt bad for a baseball writer being at the ballpark was, uh, me in, in 2008. Uh, during game five, I believe, of the ALCS, uh, when we were down in Tampa. And I believe mm-hmm. that game, the Rays were up seven or eight nothing and, over the Red Sox, and we're about to clinch. And I booked my ticket home uh, in the seventh inning, and I called my wife and left her a message saying, I love you, I can't wait to see you, I'll be home tomorrow. And then the Red Sox came back. Um, yeah that that night ended i this is this is a true story that night ended with me um scrambling to call my sister who was living in kansas city at the time asking her to sneak into my house in the middle of the night find my wife's cell phone and delete the message i had left so she never heard me saying i'm gonna be home tomorrow (laughs) that's fantastic dutiful sister she was god bless you Wow. What if she listens to the podcast? Oh, I've told her. I've told her now. Like, she she knows that story. No, the proper answer to that, she's not going to listen to Yeah, all right. I, we had only been married uh, for like a year and change at that point. And that was the first postseason I was out of town when we had a kid. So, oh, yeah. well, no, you know what? I lied. I did go. I, I didn't, like, I don't think paternity leave was a thing back in 2007. Or it certainly is right. was not the thing it is now. I my my eldest was born September twenty second. I think I went to like the full slate of playoff games that year. I, I think I left after like ten days after my kid was born. Terrible dad. <laughs> Who were you with then? I was with Yahoo then. That was okay. I was living in I know I was, you were there. Yeah, a long I was time. I was living in Chicago then. Um I was I was in Kansas City oh four and oh five uh yahoo from 6 to 19 and uh espn now from 19 to uh hopefully forever yeah um it's i would tell you what's time to do but my screen just went black and i don't know why um it's time for a moment of culture jeff all right this is what i've been what looking most forward to actually well i'm ready go all the baseball talk we have have you watched station 11 on hbo I have not watched Station Eleven on HBO. Hit me. Station Eleven uh, was a book written in 2014 by Emily St. John Mandel uh, about a worldwide pandemic that actually pretty much kills everyone, and uh, the desire to to try and find humanity uh, and being through art, and and how the, these little simple things around us. Uh, can still sustain us but but beyond that uh it's a show uh the adaptation of the the book into this show um about uh the timelessness of relationships um it is it's it's a gorgeously shot uh series that i i i think deeply deeply invest you in the characters 
and pays it off extraordinarily well. Um, you care about them, you want them to succeed, you worry for them. Um, and, and the fact that all of this is tied in um, with, with art, with music, with um, the, the, the things that we take for granted, I think right now in the middle of a pandemic, um, it, it just delivered a really good message on the, the strength of humanity and the things that carry us. And it included my single favorite scene for anything uh, movie, television show or otherwise that I've seen in a long time. Um, which was when one of the characters uses, uh, he, he's a, he's a, you know, sort of, uh, non-working journalist who's trying to, uh, kill his time, you know, as the world ends around him working on this book that no one's ever going to read. And he was listening, uh, to transcripts and, uh, thought he heard something and, and comes into the room and says, uh, this is real, um, and this will keep you hot. And it's in the middle of a terrible Chicago winter, and he plays this tape that is just a bunch of weird, like, taped together pieces of this guy's voice that sounds like a beat. And he starts mm. rapping tribe called quest excursions over this beat that he has laid down and seeing the reaction of the people in the room to this from disillusionment to just straight up elation and joy in the middle of this horrible thing they're going through was right. it, it was was such an incredibly affecting two and a half minutes of tv I, I can't, I like, I have not stopped watching it. Like whenever I just need to smile, I watch that scene and I'll send it to you afterward. You don't know the, I'll send it to you when we're done. Yeah, yeah. You don't know the characters. You don't know the relationships or, or anything like that. Uh, but you'll, you'll it'll see this and enough. it'll still make you smile. I, it, it's, it's interesting. You did. I've, I have specifically avoided, um, pandemic content if you will sure i i read something during the early parts of what we're going through now about how um in 1918 spanish flu mm -hmm. um that it the, the culture avoided it like movies didn't reference it music didn't reference it they just acted like it didn't happen because no one wanted no no one else deal with that shit mm -hmm. and like even things like you know the critically acclaimed bo burnham inside like i watched five minutes i was i want no part of this right. I don't, I don't want. I don't want any part of this. I don't, I don't want it. This is not what I want. I don't want to deal with the pandemic in my entertainment, um, which will make it a tough start for me. But maybe I'll do it because it's not this pandemic. I guess is a good way to, to look at it. Yeah, I uh, like. I'll still watch. I'll still watch a zombie movie. You know. <laughs> so no, I I I, um, I completely understand. I'm just uh, in my head. I'm just trying to tick off the number of characters by the end of this that I gave a shit about. And it's right. like the it's more than ten, and and anything that can get you to be rooting for more than ten people, um, and and to deliver it in such a a gorgeous and well told and tight fashion, like um, 
Did you enjoy Watchmen when it was on HBO? Um, I no, I didn't. I only watched like one or two episodes. It's just not my thing. It is but okay. No. I didn't think Watchmen yeah. was my thing either. I thought that was such a. But you got into. I it. I think yeah. it was such a well-told story, and this to me was uh, the best-told story I've seen since then. Okay, now we'll check it out. Station Station Eleven. Station Eleven on HBO. I'm going to talk about a video game. Let's hear it. It's called Lake. Okay. Um, there's been in the past, yeah, really a decade now, like a lot of video games that are not things where you can die or where you have to do combat or where you have to level up or do anything like that, where you're just kind of playing a story, if you will. Um, and a lot of them are really good. And this is one of them. It's called Lake. Um, I played it on Xbox Game Pass. So if you have Game Pass, you can just download it and play it. And uh, it's just a story. It takes place in 1986. Wheelhouse. And you are, yeah, Wheelhouse. You are a woman working for a software company. You're making a product called Addit 87. Um, and and you're trying to like sell this product. And you take a break from your grindy urban work environment to go fill in for your father for two weeks in a small Oregon town as a male person. And the whole game is literally you waking up, going to the post office, getting in your truck and delivering mail. You get in your truck, you drive around the town, and you you pull up at the house and you put their mail in their box, right? And then sometimes you've, you've mail or you have packages, and sometimes you have a package and you ring the doorbell, and sometimes you leave them the step. Sometimes they answer and you talk to them for a little bit and you learn a little story. And you just get to know over the course of two weeks this whole town and these people. And it's the chillest thing in the world. And it's well written. It's a lot of fun. You, you, you reconnect with some old friends because you're from this town. And, you, and you, you help some of them out with their little problems. And you, you're, it's the chillest thing to end your day with. An, and we, you know, we, I think we finished it in six, seven hours. It's the chillest way to end your night in the world. You just go. You get in your little truck. You deliver your mail. And you, you hang out with the people in your town. This feels very... This, this is where feel, video this, games yeah, are now. Feels, and it's good. It feels very metaverse-ish. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. It's not right? really... It's, yeah, maybe it's not really that. No, it's, but it's, it's living. It's 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 story, the... right? But it's 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 living in this world where see, I I've always felt like video games, um, at least the ones that we grew up on. There there's there's action and um mm-hmm. and that action is to accomplish a goal, right? Um. This isn't this isn't accomplishing a goal necessarily. I mean, unless you consider like delivering mail on time to be accomplishing a goal. This this seems like something where you're just living. And isn't that the whole idea of the metaverse that uh, you get to yeah, exist in an alternate uh, universe that's not our own? Yeah, and, there, and there's been like a whole slew of these kind of things in the last decade where it's it's very it's 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 low stakes or no stakes game. There's there's no clock or anything. I could just drive around the lake. 20 times in between delivering a thing and then like i wouldn't run out of time or would, you, literally would you run no out states. of gas there's no fails no there's no fail states whatsoever okay. like there's no fail state mm-hmm. and there's plenty of ones that are just like telling a story like like there's a, a a game called what remains of edith finch that's really really good where you're basically just going through a house where people died and learning about them that's and it's really wonderful and surreal and uh a game called gone home and and and, and there's like the, all these games they get kind of dismissed as walking simulators at times but they're when they're well done they're really really good and, and it's just a super chill way like there's no you can't die you can't run out of gas you did you can just do this however you want and you wake up the next day and your truck's filled with mail and packages and you go deliver and you learn more about the people i've, I've always appreciated the the 
the breadth of your um, not video game knowledge, but uh, just the, the the number of video games that you enjoy. I I was. I was always either like a Mario racing or sports person. I'm like a very basic gamer, right? Yeah, I don't do I don't do sports games at all, just because I I get video games or I want to get away from baseball. I don't want to play the show. I never I've never played the show, and I also don't do like what's the most popular stuff now is like the online, like player versus player, yeah. like you know Fortnite and Halo. Online. I don't do any of that because no it's just no like first person shooters. I will at times, but like only if it's like a solo campaign. I'm not going to get online with other people because I don't want to hang out with like <laughs> 16 year olds who play this 17 hours a day, shooting me in the head and calling me a slur. Like I don't, uh, there's no appeal to that whatsoever. I am a very like games are to be played in my little box and not with anybody else. Yeah. Well, listen, games allow you to be antisocial. It's yeah. great. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, Jeff, I think we're done here. I think so. I think I can't thank thank you enough for for wasting not your afternoon but your morning with me i would tell you where you go if you want to follow jeff on twitter but god knows you already do jeff has three quarters of a million followers do you even read your twitter mentions yeah absolutely i read my mentions you do I read my dms yeah 100 percent. well dms i get because people are breaking news but you like read your mentions oh yeah i'll, I'll go through them there's a dude i like i have uh i don't do this as much as i used to because it's sort of overwhelming now but I, I name searched myself for a while and it wasn't for an ego thing. Um, it was because a lot of times when people criticize you, they don't tag you in it. And oh, yeah. and there were times when I would get criticized that people would be right. And and I wanna you know, I wanna hear that. Like I wanna I am the furthest thing from um impervious. I am it, it's 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 almost like, especially the, you know, the more public facing you get, and that's been the case since I've gotten on TV, I'm responsible to the people who are reading and watching. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not doing my job to the best of my ability, uh, and somebody tells me how I can do it better, I'll absolutely listen. I, I, I'd be, you know... It would be obnoxious not to. So yeah, I I read all the things people say about me, good and bad, and uh, I encourage it. Just like, don't be rude about it. That's all. I mean, I know it's a a lot to say for Twitter, but Twitter, it, yeah. You know, if if you want to criticize and have a logical, thoughtful criticism, I am more than open to it and encourage it. <laughs> Well, Jeff, thanks for coming on. Hopefully, uh, we'll, we'll have baseball soon. Yeah, I doubt it. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. We're going we're gonna to have the interlude and the ending with just the sad trombone. And thanks for listening, everybody.